0: Everybody, what is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter.
1: Thanks for joining. I am in the podcast studio with not one, but two of our Watermark Institute students, Brian and Laura Schwartz. Hey. Hey, Emma. I'm glad y'all are here. You guys are fellows. So kind of explain, what's the difference between residents and fellows?
0: We're just working slightly longer at the church. We have a little more hours, but we all study the same material. Um, so I'm part of the porch team here, and Laura?
2: Mm-hmm. I'm part of the marriage team.
1: I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I have heard great things about both of you. <laughs> oh. Your reputations precede you. And I would love to get to know you all better. I mean, we've been in some meetings, but I haven't gotten to hear your stories Laura, why don't you go first? Tell us a little bit about how you came to know Jesus. Fast forward, where are you today?
2: Yeah, Emma, thanks so much for having us. We're oh, you're welcome. Um, so my story, I didn't grow up in a family that knew the Lord. I'm pretty new to faith, about four to five years um, before Christ just found my whole identity in sports and people and academic achievement and um so sweet, just stumbled upon the porch about four years ago and uh, got saved. I've been walking with him since. And when I found the Lord, got to share faith with my brothers, and they found faith, and then we got to bring faith back into our home, and now our parents are walking with the Lord. And it's just had this incredible, sweet ripple effect in our lives. It's so, amazing. Yeah, it's really surreal to be here at Watermark, just getting to serve with a ministry that truly showed me what faith looked like. So cool.
1: What about you, Brian?
0: And I'm actually kind of quite the opposite of that. I grew okay. up in a, a great home that uh, knew the Lord, uh, raised from an early age to know Him. But what that did was sometime around like middle school, um, where I really kind of got really plugged in with my youth group. But it just made me feel like, hey, if anybody really knew what I was struggling with, the sins that I was going through, I'd be rejected. Like I had to push those kind of deep down inside. Um, so that kind of led all the way through college of just saying, hey, I looked really good on the outside. But at the inside, just kind of dying of sin and shame. Uh, And it took God, thankfully, kind of ripping those walls down. I really think I described the verse of like a whitewashed tomb, beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. Uh, For God just to say, hey, like, no, like, you need to live in authentic community to fight through different things. And uh, God was really kind right after college to do that and just to allow me to live and be able to tell my story without that shame.
2: It's awesome. I love it. How did y'all meet?
1: That's an important part of your lives. <laughs> yeah,
2: we were serving at our home church and we we're involved in our young adult group and and serving as leaders and really just kind of I think looked at each other one day and we were like we're running really hard for the Lord and we're similar in heart and um, got to know each other and the rest is history.
1: And how long ago was that? How long have y'all been married?
0: About like a year and a half now.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. together a year for and a half. about four. So fun. Mm-hmm. Did you start dating in college or no? At post-grad?
0: Post-college. A fun part of our story is that we actually knew of each other for a while. We were kind of like just out of sync in different circles. And it's just God's kindness that he brought us together when both of our hearts were at the right point to actually date and then get married. So, fun. So
1: fun. I love it. Okay, I could keep talking, but we got to dive into today's chapter. So Genesis 32. Laura, why don't you set it up for us? What are we looking at?
2: Genesis 32 starts off, the scene is kind of set with Jacob heading back to Canaan, and this is something that the Lord commanded of him. And he realizes that as he's heading back to Canaan, he's going to cross paths with his brother Esau, who's been living in Edom. And if we remember and look back at the previous chapters of Genesis, Esau and Jacob didn't leave off at a great point. Uh, Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright. Uh, through deception had robbed him of his blessing. And so as he is realizing that he's going to cross paths again with his brother Esau, he's really fearful because the last time Jacob and Esau are with each other, Esau says he's going to kill Jacob. There's so much rage um, just through all of Jacob's life of deception. So he's at the place where he is about to cross paths with Esau. Um, He knows that Esau is heading his way with about 400 men, and he is just terrified for his life. I would be. Yeah, I know. But we see him doing something really honorable there. He cries out to the Lord. He prays, uh, which is such a lesson for us that in the middle of great fear, if we turn to the Lord or not, is so, I think, um, just Representative of where our heart our heart lies, um, and I think it's just so important of like how we value faith. Uh, I don't know if you want to pick up from there.
0: Yeah, I actually really love this passage, Emma. So thanks for having us on for this.
2: Uh, oh, you're one.
0: welcome. But um,
2: God's sovereignty that
1: hit a line this way.
0: He always is. So as Laura was saying, kind of prays out and then tries to say, "Hey, let me try to solve this by myself. Let me give these offerings." And I think it's unique that he honestly kind of just forgets what God just did for him was Laban, literally yesterday, as we read it, um, of saying, hey, God came to me and said not to hurt you, and he already forgets that, and that is so relevant to me, because I always forget when God's faithful in my past. Um, so he sends all this stuff over, and then we see this kind of interesting scene, where I don't know how this happens. I'm really curious to hear about this one day. But all of a sudden, all we know is he's is wrestling with a man. And there's some um, different views of this, of, hey, who is this? Is, mm-hmm. um, but one is saying, hey, maybe this is either pre-incarnate Christ or a God himself in man form. Um, but all we know is that they're wrestling right in the desert. Super weird. but
1: As, as men do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: apparently. Apparently. Um, but I love what is happening. They keep going on all throughout the night. Um, and even like you said, of being terrified to meet all these people. I know when I'm really wrestling with something or struggling in my own heart of fear, I cannot sleep that night. So I think it's super relevant. But uh, he gets to daybreak basically and says, hey, like Jacob has this man and says, let me go. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. and So verse and I think, 26? Yes, verse 26. And if you kind of flip some of those words around without changing the meaning, this idea says, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And I think the blessing that comes is important because, I mean, when I hear what do you blessing— mean, What do
1: you mean by that? You yeah. You flip the words around. What do you mean?
0: Yeah, I think, like, saying the same exact thing, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Hmm. I was saying, like, he's clinging to this man who will find out will be some form of God or angel. Um, and— Today, I know like if I hear the word blessing to me, they're thinking like a little bit of extra money in my paycheck or a status thing or even like health. But I mean, we see that after this, his health is worse off because he's walking with a limb. But the blessing that he gives, that this man gives him is changing his name. And I love this idea because I had a season in my life where I really wrestled with God, not physically, but that hard season where all my walls came down, my sin, like Jacob, my own choices and consequences of those choices kind of laid bare and I was really mad at God, honestly. Um, But I took kind of that idea of saying, I'm gonna cling and hold on to you, God, until like this works out well. I'm not gonna push you away in my hardship, I'm gonna cling all the closer to you. Uh, And we see that what he gets is a, not money or all these things, but he gets a new identity, a new name. He's no longer called Jacob, which meant deceiver, really fitting, but he calls him Israel saying hey you're one who struggles who strives and wrestles with god uh and i just love because i see christ in this moment that if we cling to god and refuse to let go of him no matter how hard it gets or how painful it gets that we can have a new identity in him not defined by our past sins and struggles but defined as one who strives with god as a as a child of god through christ and so i just love the imagery in this
1: it's so good As we start to wrap up, thank you, Brian. Jacob slash Israel, he's an important character in the story. Laura, why is it important for us to understand who he is?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's the father of many nations, and he um, is kind of— the head and a father again of the 12 tribes of Israel. So mm. he's going to go on to have sons whose names we can't pronounce. And there's going to be um, one that we notice specifically named Joseph, who's going to lead us into uh, just a time in Israel and even Moses and Exodus. So there's much to come in that. But he is kind of the focal point or the starting point of the father of the nation of Israel. Cool, cool, cool. Anything you would add to that? You feel good.
0: Yeah, so when you read in a few chapters, like, this nation Israel, isn't that a man? Like, it's a both.
2: just was thinking about specifically Jacob, how he handled the situation of wrestling with the Lord. And I really was hit by the fact that closeness to God requires humility. And for the rest of Jacob's life, after the season of wrestling, he's going to have a very present reminder of that night. Um, he's walking with a limp. He forever will be dependent on a cane. But not only is he walking dependent on that cane, he's walking dependent on God. And I think that affliction is a gift to Jacob because it serves as a physical reminder, almost like a badge of honor, saying, you might, you know, see me with this limp, but wait till I tell you the story of what God did in my heart that night, what he's been teaching me and showing me about himself. And I just think that we can't miss the fact that though this world says, you know, self-autonomy and self-sufficiency and independence, um, all that is praiseworthy. I think Jacob gets it because of the season that he was in, that real joy is found in being dependent on God.
1: It's so good. Real joy is found in being dependent on God. I love it. I wish we could keep talking. Thank you all for being here. We're out of time. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together